All right, let's open up our Bibles to Acts chapter 15. We're looking at verses 36 through 41 today. Acts chapter 15, verses 36 through 41. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia strengthening the churches. This is God's word. Let's pray. God, help us to understand your word, to believe your word, and we pray that you would change us by it. Lord, that you would begin a new work in each of us today that would go with us as we leave this place and continue our lives of faith. Lord, we pray that you would accomplish great things in us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Clark Griswold. Okay, a lot of you know Clark Griswold. Now, whether you've seen the movies or not, whether you know his name or not, you're definitely familiar with this character. The Griswolds are a Chicago suburban family. And uh, in these movies called Vacation, there's Vacation, your family, European Vacation, Christmas Vacation is probably the one most people know these days. The Griswolds uh, have uh, experiences centered around holidays and getaways and things go bad. And when you think of Clark Griswold, certain things come to mind, right? A lot of people, when they think Clark Griswold, played by Chevy Chase, they think uh, fool, buffoon, uh, idiot. Maybe you're kinder to him and you think, well, family man, he loves his family. But what I think about when I think about Clark Griswold is perseverance. Because homeboy don't quit. He does not quit. It doesn't matter how bad he just, he, he has a conviction, a belief, a calling, really. And it makes him set his sights on that end and he's going for it. It's actually pretty inspiring. Not in the biblical sense, but it's, uh, it's, it's pretty inspiring. And I was thinking about him because when I think about plans and the plans that I put together, uh, I notice that they oftentimes do go wrong, right? I, I put together a plan, a good plan, a plan that I like. Sometimes I don't put a lot of thought into the plan. Uh, it, still, it still counts as a plan, by the way. And it goes wrong, and I get frustrated, and I balk, and I I get annoyed, and I started to think, especially in light of this passage, how do we respond when we lay out our plans, our best efforts, the the best plan, a good plan with a good goal, right? Not the stupid, silly things that we sometimes get wrapped up in. I mean, you lay out a plan for something good. You have hopes and dreams and aspirations, and you're working toward it, and all of a sudden, something out of your control derails everything. How do you respond? What do you do? What do you say? What's your attitude? I probably know, at least for most of us, right? For most of us, we're, we're, <laughs> we're annoyed, we're frustrated, you know, we get impatient. 
And what I am learning slowly over the decades of following Jesus is that I need to allow my theology, my understanding of God, who he really is in the word, actually impact my everyday crises or confusions so that I recognize that he's actually involved in the process, including the interruptions. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at this passage today, look at Paul and Barnabas, two close friends, missionary buddies, co-workers in the gospel. They get into a fight. It messes up plans. It's a big deal, actually. It's kind of an embarrassing part of the book of Acts, if I'm honest. But here's what we're going to see. Jesus gives us the grace to persevere in the midst of uncertainty. Jesus gives us the grace to persevere in the midst of uncertainty. So first, we're going to look at the plans that were made, right? We're going to see the plans were made. There was an idea. There was a goal. There was a whole strategy. Plans were made. We'll see that in verse 35. But then we're going to see in verses 37 through 38 that the plans were challenged, right? They were were not allowed. They just kind of go their way. And then thirdly, in verses 39 through 41, we're going to see that plans change. All right, so first, the plans that are made in verse 36, right? After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. This is exciting. This is awesome because Paul and Barnabas had probably... Within a year, maybe six months ago, they had completed uh, their first missionary journey. And on their journey, and they had others with them, they were preaching the gospel and making disciples. God was at work. Uh, The churches were being planted. It was amazing. The Gentiles are being reached with the gospel. Super exciting. They come back to Antioch. They're resting up. They're encouraging, giving testimony. And now Paul's like, let's go do it again. But let's go back and see everybody that we've reached, right? Like, this is... Paul's plan. He's like, let's have a sequel, right? Let's have a sequel. Let's, let's have a repeat. Like, let's go back. And, and it was, I mean, I imagine, I like to imagine Paul thinking about it, right? Because obviously he did. He was a guy that strategized and made plans. He's been thinking about it. Who wouldn't? Maybe he's been dreaming about it, at least daydreaming for sure, right? Because how exciting just to be doing something you know that you're called to do, something that you're gifted at doing. What a privilege. What a grace. And he's thinking about it. He's like, Barnabas, my boy, we're going to go back out there. We're going to hit our favorite restaurants along the way. It's going to be awesome. You know, you plan all the things out when you start to really put it together, and now it's feeling more tangible, and you're really getting excited about it. And really, the objective here is, is it's not a vacation. It's not a getaway. The objective is to check on the brothers, right? That's another way of saying we want to check on these new Christians. That these, are, these are not just people. They're checking on people that have become converts. These are believers. So when they reference the brothers, right, it's a, it's a reference to the church. So it's men and women, brothers and sisters. He's going to, wants to check on all of those that are now following Jesus. And he wants to see how they are. Right? He wants to visit the churches and see how they are. That is, maybe take their spiritual temperature, see if they need any correction, where they need guidance, what theological issues they're struggling with. We want to get back to making disciples at all of these various locations. It's a good plan. Who can hate that plan? That's obviously a God-endorsed plan, right? You can look at that and you think, like, absolutely, let's go. It's got to be God's will. But... It's really important when we're making plans, right? Especially the bigger the plans, the more serious the plans. Uh, It's really important that we keep in mind that we can make our plans, but God 
ultimately decides. God ultimately will decide whether or not you're going to be able to begin those plans, go down that particular path. Make a plan. That's a good thing. Make a plan. Have a plan. But recognize that it is God who will ultimately decide. Proverbs 19 21 is one of the more famous passages that people go to for this principle. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man. It's not a bad thing, right? Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. In other words, your plan is a kind of a purpose, right? You're, you have a goal, you have steps, there's a whole thing, and we're going to have a lot of them, but your plans will not necessarily stand. They might. They might come to pass, but it's the purpose of the Lord that will stand. So you make your plans and you pray that God breathes on it, right? You pray that God is for it. You pray that God attends to it, that God clears a path, because ultimately it's up to God. All we can do is be faithful to what we believe God has called us to do. Many are our plans. It's a good thing, not bad. I'm not saying don't plan but you have to trust God. Make plans, but trust God. Make plans, but understand that your primary responsibility in executing your plans is to be trusting and even submissive to God, right? So maybe think about it like this. Be strategic, but also be submissive, right? So understand what you're called to do. Understand what your desire is, what the, what the goal is, how you're going to get there. Put it all together. That's great. That's important for us. But you have to be submissive ultimately to the will of God, the sovereign will of God, what will actually come to pass. One of the passages that we've referenced recently even was James chapter 4, starting in verse 13, where James says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we're going to go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. That's not a bad thing, by the way. That's a good thing. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring and what is your life. For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live or do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. He's not saying don't plan to go into a city and make a profit through your trade. He's not saying that. He's saying understand that it's if the Lord wills, you'll be able to accomplish your goals. If the Lord wills. It's not just as simple as tagging your statement with this sort of statement about, oh, uh, I'm, I'm going to, if the Lord wills, as if it means nothing. You have to make your plans and hold your plans with open hands, recognizing that God may take that away and put something else in its place, if the Lord wills. So we want to be strategic, like Paul is. He's being strategic, but you also have to be submissive because your plans do not bind God. You can make all the plans that you want, but you're not, you're not going to handcuff God. God does not have to do what you want, and, and God does certainly not owe you uh, the fulfillment of your dreams and your plans. He doesn't owe that to us. In fact, sometimes he does better than that. Sometimes the worst thing that God can do for us is to give us what we really want, is to let us go down that path and take that job or start that relationship. Sometimes that's the worst thing. And God, God graciously says, your plans are dumb, and we're going we're gonna to say no to that. Sometimes God says, your plans are dumb. I'm going to let you do it anyway so you can learn something in the process. I can't get into the mind of God for why he allows things to happen, but I know that he's clearly at work when we make our plans. He's not passive. 
when we're making our plans. So we have to plan, but let God decide. Trust God. Be submissive to his will. Understanding that our plans do not, do not handcuff God. So Paul made plans, good plans, and then those plans are challenged in verses 37 through 38. Barnabas' response to Paul, he wanted to take John Mark. Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought it best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Who's John Mark? Well, John Mark is mentioned in the book of Acts earlier. He is Barnabas' cousin. You can look that up in Colossians 4.10. John Mark was an evangelist and uh, not a bad one. I mean, he, he was, he was a, a good evangelist. He seems to be, by all accounts, as you read his story in Scripture, a faithful brother. But something happened on the first missionary journey. John Mark went with them, with Paul and Barnabas, on the first missionary journey. We read about it in Acts 12 and in Acts 13. He goes with in Acts 12, but by Acts 13, he bails. John Mark dips in a way that is suspect. It's, it's not just confusing. It's clearly a flake out. He's flaking out. Now, Luke is friends with John Mark, and he's writing Acts. And he loves the brothers. He's not trying to dog his friend, right? So he's just stating the facts. But based on everything that we see in Paul's response here and elsewhere, it's, it's, it's pretty indicative that John Mark's departure from the mission, from the team, was a problem. It did not look good. It did not feel good. John Mark blew it in some way, and he left. And this is a problem. This is a problem for, for Paul. And, I, and I, don't, I don't blame him. This was a clear failure. I understand why he would be reticent. Well, here he is. John Mark is back in Antioch now. And so they're all there, and John Mark is game. He's like, all right, let's go. I'm ready now. I can't wait to go. Guys, am I, you know, Barnabas, are we going to do this? Are we going to try this again? And so this is the context in which there is a fight. I'm going to call it a fight. A fight, not a fist fight. No record of a fist fight anyways. But there's a fight because there's a sharp disagreement. Barnabas wants to bring Mark. Second chance Barnabas. Well, he's, like, he's like, yeah, man, let's give this guy a second chance. He's hopeful, right? He's like, he's, he's, he's like that's my brother. I've seen him work. He's, he's, he seems to have the right perspective. Let's go. He's excited. He's excited about the plan to go and do this whole thing with Paul. But he's like, let's bring John Mark. He doesn't want to leave John Mark out of it. I'm not saying that Barnabas is an optimist. I'm saying that he's a believer in what God can do. And so he's excited. He's like, yes, we got to bring John Mark. And Paul is not feeling it. Paul, Paul's response is, uh, no, no, because he flaked on us. You do remember, right? You do remember that we were in the middle of the work where, you know, you remember the work that we've done where we've been arrested and persecuted and, you know, they wanted to kill us. We we're preaching the gospel. And, and John Mark laughed at some point. So Barnabas, what are you talking about? It, it doesn't give a lot of reasoning other than to say he left us. So no, maybe it's too risky. Maybe he doesn't think that John Mark is ready. Maybe he's right. We don't have all of those details. 
But there is clearly a problem. There's conflict here. There's, they are having a real problem. We'll talk more about it in a minute. But let's, let's just take a minute here. Paul had plans. Barnabas hears these plans. He's thinking something like, let's bring John Mark. So the plans are being challenged. But the same goal is in place, but the plan to pull it off are being challenged. So when our plans are challenged, right, when we see things begin to not unfold the way that we want, how do we respond? People bulk, right? That is, they, they, they buck, they, they, they get upset, right? We, we oftentimes ask, why? Like, why, God? Which is not a bad question, right? But it all depends on the posture of your heart. Because you can ask God why in a sense that you're like, I'm seeking understanding. Or you can ask God why with a proud heart that demands an answer as if God owes that to you. We can ask why with a demanding heart that says, my way should always be first. We can ask why with an arrogance that betrays the unbelief and lack of submission in our own hearts toward God. I mean, listen, uh, I, throughout my life, uh, a number of my faults have been manifestly clear to me and to other people. But certainly one of the things is, is if I just have a basic plan, it doesn't matter what it is, it can be the order in which I eat something. Um, but I can say, oh, this is how I'm going to do this, and if all of a sudden I can't do that thing, oh, you know what? Don't worry about it. Let's just forget it. Let's just not worry about it. I won't even I won't do any. I don't need to eat any of it. It's fine. I'm just going to walk away. I know that that's ridiculous. I know that I'm being a baby there. And even if I'm not angry, I am in some sense, when there is the slightest interruption in a plan, I'd go, that plan doesn't look like the plan that I put together, so I don't want to do it at all. It's a kind of quitting. It's a kind of unbelief. It's a kind of pride that says it's either my way or the highway. You get it. We balk, we ask God why, how dare anyone or anything essentially get in my way. We get angry, we get discouraged, and some of us quit. When things get hard, when, when things change up, it's easy to quit, it's easy to give up, it's harder to persevere when your plan, when your when your strategy is not going to be implemented, when your way forward has to change directions, even if you're going to get to the same place. But, and we're, I'm saying this now because I, 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 want us, I don't want us to lose this principle by waiting for it at the end. It's pretty simple, right? The disruption of your plans can be, can be the discovery of something better. You, I mean, I know we think that our plans are perfect, because we're all so smart in our own world, right? You think your plan is good, and you think it's going to feel good, it's going to be right, and this is how it's supposed to be, right? In, in my business, in my marriage, in my, in my gameplay, like whatever it is, right? Like we think like this is how it's supposed to go, and when it doesn't go that way, we want to give up. But maybe, maybe the, the disruption of your plan is now a discovery of something much better, Paul would find out that this is the case, but how can you know, right? I mean, it's kind of hard to know in the midst of it, especially when you're all mad and aggro about it. Sometimes we're just too busy complaining about how things aren't going according to my plan that we can't even see what God is beginning to do 
It's a posture, right? It's a posture of heart. It's a kind of meekness that recognizes that God is God and I am not. So I make my plans, but I had better wait to see what God is doing in the midst of all of my planning. So the plans were made and the plans were challenged and ultimately, yes, the plans did change. This is a real problem between Paul and Barnabas. You see verse 39, and there arose a sharp disagreement, so they separated from each other. A sharp disagreement. That phrase in the original language is really indicating a kind of hostility, anger, perhaps. Like, this is a beef. They're not just, like, you know, sitting there and calmly evaluating what their options are. They're arguing. They're fighting about this, which is really embarrassing. This is the Apostle Paul, man. Come on. You're supposed to be like one of our heroes. We need to be able to hold you up and say, like, yeah, that's the guy. This is our guy. And uh, they're, they're fighting. They're fighting. It's actually one of the reasons I love Scripture, because it is honest about our, quote, heroes, right? Because they're all sinners, the men, the women, all the ones we look to and be like, man, did you see what they did? With any, every one of those, with a few exceptions, you can go, yeah, but did you see what else they did? <laughs> they did some great stuff, but they also did some horrible things. So it's a real problem, frustration, arguing, and it led to a separation. They had like a breakup. This was the dynamic duo. This was Batman and Robin. This was Fred and Barney. Like this was, these were the guys. And they're supposed to go on like episode two. They're supposed to go, but it doesn't happen. They actually separate. It's actually, like, it's, it hurts if you're, if you're following the story in real time. We're on the back end of this. We know how it all works out. It does all work out, but it's got to be heartbreaking. So Barnabas took Mark with him, it says, and sailed away to Cyprus. Barnabas and Mark went to Cyprus. Cyprus is an island, and it's really where Barnabas is from, so they go there. And it's, I don't want to make too big of a deal about this, but it, it, the, the silence of it seems kind of loud. So Barnabas and Mark go to Cyprus to do ministry. But the church doesn't pray for them, commend them, or send them. They do that with Paul and Silas. They don't do it here. Now, maybe they did, and we don't have a record of it. Maybe it's just not the point. But maybe Barnabas is getting ahead of himself a little bit with John Mark. We don't know. It's interesting. Maybe convicting a little bit. So they go and they do their thing. But Paul and Silas go ahead and start their, their second tour, right? Or Paul's second tour, uh, Silas's uh, first time. Who's Silas? Silas um, is a good preacher. We, if you go back to the previous paragraph, uh, you see this in verse 32. He's a, he's a good preacher. Uh, God's using him. He's bearing fruit. He's also a Roman citizen. So in terms of reaching the Gentiles, that's really good for them. That's another, it's a good strategy. And, you know, Paul wasn't thinking about that at the time, but like, wow, this is going to work out really good. God seems to be arranging things in a new way. And so Paul and Silas, I mean, they knew each other, but not like he and Barnabas did, but they're about to. Paul and Silas, like the next missionary journey is beginning. We're going to go with, and we're going to see what happens with these guys. And, and some, of those, some of those stories that if you grew up in church, you heard about Paul, and you, you're like, who's that other person? Oftentimes, that other person is Silas. We're going we're gonna to get into it. But they, they were sent by the church, right? It says, Paul chose Silas and departed, 
having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So the church laid their hands on, like, okay, this, you guys are supposed to go. We're sending you out to preach, to make disciples, to strengthen the church. So this is great. This is great. The plan's changed. Got to be scary, I would think, right? Scary. It's one, it's one thing, like, hey, man, I've done this whole tour before with Barnabas. I know how we click. We're going to get along. All of a sudden, you're taking a new guy. Like when, uh, when I went to college, I went to Moody Bible Institute, and uh, my best friend and I got accepted at the same time, right? We both got rejected at the same time, and then we got accepted later on at the same time. And, uh, you know, I'm a little smarter than him, so I knew we shouldn't room together, right? Because you're my best friend, and you're annoying, and I'm annoying. It's not, so let's not do that. And so he would be like, hey, man, did, uh, did, you, did you put me down for your roommate? I was like, no. Why? He's like, oh, I put you down for my roommate. And I'm like, dang. And you know what happened? This is the kind of guy he wears like the sleepy mask. Even though he's 19, he's wearing the sleepy mask at night on his eyes so that no light comes in. But even then, when I get up at 5, because I get up early, I turn my light on. And it, if that sleepy mask on, you look, click it. He's like, what are you doing? Can you turn the light? It's like, this is the guy. So I, I couldn't. We, we lasted a semester, and then um, we had to break up, sort of like Paul and Barnabas. It was brutal. <laughs> it's got to be scary. He's going to go. He's going to do this thing. So I'm sure, you know, he's trusting the Lord. He's, you know, but Paul, I mean, listen, we've already seen that Paul doesn't always get things right, you know, in, in life. He's a sinner like everybody else, and so it's got to be scary. But what we know is that the second missionary journey uh, would be a great success. We're going to see it. And it's also, it's also nice to know, it's also nice to know that, uh, that there was reconciliation. We, when you read uh, through the New Testament, you see that, that when Paul references Barnabas, um, he references him positively. There doesn't seem to be any beef. He doesn't seem to be mad at Barnabas. He really seemed to have a problem with John Mark. That really seemed to be the problem. Right? He was fighting with Barnabas, but it was about John Mark. But even Paul and John Mark seem to be fully reconciled, and he has great things to say. In Colossians 4.10, Paul really commends John Mark. And I want to read it because we've been presenting this idea that John Mark maybe was immature, maybe scared, maybe not ready. And I wouldn't want that to be my legacy. <laughs> you know, I mean, hopefully that won't be. Like, the, what I leave behind is like, that guy was weak, you know. Um, I would hope that people would be able to see the improvements that God makes in each of us over time. So let's read some of these just brief statements. Colossians chapter 4, verse 10. Paul says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. So he's saying, John Mark, when he, when he gets there, embrace him. He's a good brother. He's with us. He's with me. He is a friend. So that feels pretty good. Like, okay, that seems to be healthy. And then we look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. You can just listen. 2 Timothy chapter 4. I'll just start in, uh, in verse 9. Do your best to come to me soon. This is at the end of Paul's life. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. I know that John Mark didn't abandon the faith, but he did abandon Paul. It's like he's experiencing another kind of abandonment. Somebody else took off on him. He's like, he did it by falling in love with this world, so Demas is falling away. It's 
much bigger deal. But Demas fell in love with this world. He's deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark. That's John Mark. That's our guy. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. That's a better way to go out with John Mark. Paul comes to the place where he's like, listen, I do not want to be around this guy. I've got my second missionary journey. It's a lie. I've got a lot to do. I don't need this guy bailing on us. But at the end of his life, he's like, make sure, just whatever you do, grab John Mark and bring him to me. I need that brother. That's beautiful, right? It's beautiful. Because so often in the world, like, you know, you, you, we talk about burning bridges. And listen, yes, you can, even in the church, you can burn a bridge. You can actually burn a bridge. There's no way to get back there. It's possible. But those are really severe, significant crimes and sins. We believe in grace. We believe in mercy. We believe in forgiveness because we have those things in Jesus. And how often do we just write people off and just like, don't have, I'm just done because we had a beef. I had, a, I had a, an encounter with a guy recently. Oh, I'm going to look really bad. So I had this encounter with this guy and, uh, at the cigar shop. And, um, and so we've, there's always been like this weird energy between us, right? And it doesn't, long story, it doesn't really matter why. So one day I'm in there talking to a friend that I see like twice a year. And this other guy is sitting in there snoring in the cigar line, snoring so loud. The windows are rattling, the, the shutters, dust is coming off of the blinds. And I'm like, what? So I look at the manager and I'm like, and he goes, I'm like, bro, like, that's your job. Look at him. He's like, no, I'm not going to do anything. So, you know, I, I went over there and I very politely just tapped his shoulder. Or I yelled at him from across the room. So I'm like, hey. Oh, like, like I'm Italian or something, uh, coming out of New Jersey. I yell at the guy. I'm like, hey. And, uh, and he, he startled him. And then I didn't, wasn't paying attention. I'm trying to talk to my friend. And he left. I think he left embarrassed. So the next day, he sees me. And he's like, hey, Joe, listen, man, don't. If I fall asleep, don't yell at me. Ugh, gosh. Yeah, OK. He does it a lot. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It wasn't kind. It wasn't right. And I, he, he talked to me, he's like, my friend was in there and he was embarrassed and now I was embarrassed. And I said, I was rude. You're right. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. And we left it alone. And the next day I came in and I, I asked what his favorite cigar was. The manager told me. So I was like, I'm like, and I saw him. I'm like, hey, man, just wanted to say, I really am sorry. Like, I wasn't just saying that. Like, I actually made it. I, and he's like, no, I feel like a jerk. And I'm like, bro, you're not a jerk. You called me out for being rude. I was the jerk. That wasn't the word he was using, by the way. Do you know what I'm saying? The point is. I was wrong, and he called me on it. And this guy, he's, doesn't, he's not a Christian. We're, like, we're not like brothers in the church. But like, this is the kind of thing, the energy could have just kept getting worse and worse. And he <laughs> had to call me out on my sin. I messed up. There's always a way back, just always a way back, at least on our part, to ask for forgiveness when we're wrong. So I love seeing this reconciliation. I'm not going to share that at the second service, by the way, so don't tell anybody. <laughs> That was not in my notes. All right, so, okay, so here's the thing. What, what does this have to do with Jesus, right? Like, what does this have to do with Jesus, right? Jesus gives us the grace to persevere in the midst of uncertainty. This is important because your life is going to be marked by crippling uncertainty at times. You're like, you will have no idea what's going to happen at different points in your life. And then when you finally think you have a pretty good idea, surprise, challenge. 
and then change. Jesus gives us the grace to persevere and not quit. I want to read a passage. It's Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, right? These are all the believers that have gone before us, right? We're surrounded by them. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So persevere. Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We are saved from our sin, from our guilt. We are rescued from the domain of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. We are reconciled to God, given a new name, a new nature, a new hope, a new future. Like we are saved, cleansed, and made new because Jesus endured the cross, right? He, he endured something that was painful, offensive, and he did this for the joy set before him. He endured the cross for what was ahead. He faced what we would call uncertainty of the worst kind. And we know that, that Jesus, in the evening hours, was praying, Lord, if, if, if this can pass, if there's any way that I don't have to drink this cup, that would be, that'd be good. And the father says, this is the cup you're meant to drink. And Jesus, of course, completely, perfectly submits. He endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. And now he is seated at the right hand of God. And so what Jesus did for what, us, right, he, he persevered in obtaining salvation for us, not only that we might be forgiven and reconciled to God, but in that we might be forgiving and be reconciled to each other. So very simply, let me just encourage you. I'll give you five quick statements. I'm not even going to have time to get into them all, but just hang on to these ideas, right? When it comes to your life and your planning and your future as you're looking ahead and your hopes, number one, know your purpose. You are likely to get much of your planning wrong if you don't know what your purpose is in life. And I, I, yes, I do mean to include to glorify God and enjoy him, right? But in your life, in your calling, in your responsibilities, in your vocation, in your relationships, you got to think about it that way. So know your purpose. And then two, yes, make your plans. It's not smart to live life without making plans. Make your plans. Get organized. But number three, trust the Lord, because your plans aren't a part of the decree of God, at least not necessarily. God has decreed, made a decree before creation began. That stands. But your plans might not. So trust the Lord. Number four, embrace the change when it comes. Because clearly, if, if the answer is no, then God is saying this is not best for you right now. I've got a different plan. So look, look for the yes. Look for what God is beginning to do. Embrace the change means be willing to let go of your plans to embrace what God has for you next. And it's going to look different for everybody. So know your purpose. 
Make your plans, trust the Lord, embrace the change, and then, yes, follow Jesus moving forward. Follow Jesus moving forward means that you actually don't quit. You know, just because, just because you're frustrated and it's not going to be what you ultimately thought it would be or it's not going to go the way you wanted it to, God is doing something. He's at work, and he is calling you to follow his son, and so you follow Jesus through the change into whatever is next. And yeah, I know it's discouraging and frustrating. I know it can hurt. But God's plans are better. They are always better than my plans. My plans are pretty good. But it's hard to see that God's plans are better when you set your hopes on your own ideas. So make sure the posture of your heart is good. Look to Jesus who endured the cross, persevered through such agony that we might be forgiven and reconciled. And in that, we find the persevering grace to forgive where necessary and to persevere when called. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that everyone here would draw near to Jesus this morning, that those of us who have been following Jesus for some time now would draw near, that those who have not yet believed would draw near to him by faith today. We pray, God, that we would repent of any pride or arrogance in our planning or in the way that we oversee our lives. We pray that, we pray, Lord, that you would give us courage to move forward in faith when we are afraid to go and our plans don't unfold the way that we want. Lord, we ask that you would give us passion, growing faith, a love for each other, a love for our neighbor, and ultimately a love for you that moves us forward together in faith and godliness. In Christ's name we pray, amen.